We celebrate those things that make us inherently unique. We know that we as Canadians are united. The green jacket is going north of the border. Mike Weir has won the Masters. Terry, uh, you're not going to be able to make very many miles a day. How long is it going to take you to run across it? Well, by September, October, I'll get there. I hope it's between 30 and 40 miles in a day. So as we were approaching JFK over Long Island, the first plane hit the World Trade Center towers and between the first and second planes is when our captain was given the, the information to turn and head north to Gander. I think it's absolutely wonderful. The people of Gander have been absolutely marvelous. So, so generous. Touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. We share goals and aspirations for a better country and for a better world. And we know that the best Canada is a Canada in which we can all succeed. I'm one of the luckiest people on earth. I was born Canadian, I get to call Canada my home. We have so much to draw upon. The second largest landmass of any country, one quarter of the world's fresh water, an abundance of resources, intellectual, natural, and financial. We're great storytellers, content creators, and entrepreneurs. We share a border and language with the United States, a defender of democracy and the world's largest economy. Our values, our tolerance, our beliefs, our healthcare system. People all over the world want to immigrate here and build a future for themselves and their family. And we're only 38 million people to feed. Of course we have problems, but overall we're the true north strong and free. But I have to say that over the past few years, I've lost faith in our political process and our leaders. It seems like they shifted their focus. Instead of being for the people, they seem to be from the people. Instead of inspiring us to earn our way forward and to create an economy capable of supporting our social programs, we're taking the route of boring our way there. Billions are being squandered with no end game in sight. We're pouring cement on the feet of the next generation. Now it's easy to be discouraged. What I've chosen to do is to focus on the positive, on the people and corporations who are making things happen who are doing their part to solve problems and help others get to where they need, want, and deserve to go. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network, and this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. On this show, we talk to ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things. And in doing so, we uncover their life lessons. Life lessons that inspire us to do more and to be more. Today in Chatter That Matters, you're going to meet someone who wears two hats. It's almost like he's a superhero. He's a pure capitalist in terms of his desire to build companies, but also a social justice warrior in terms of helping people and neighborhoods in need. His name is Mark Brand, and you'll soon learn why he's making a difference. Mark Brand, welcome to Chatter That Matters. Tony, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm very excited to be here and really appreciate the lens that you bring to conversations. So excited about ours today. Mark, when I dug into who you are, it was like I was dealing with two completely different personalities. Some talked about your entrepreneurial ability to build restaurants, that creative force. While other articles were focused on you being a social justice warrior, focused on the East End of Vancouver. Who's the real Mark Brandt? You know, why the restaurant business is, is where I want to start. So anybody listening, uh, 
who is thinking about opening a restaurant, I have one very important piece of advice for you. Don't. <laughs> Unless you uh, want to give every hour of every day to being in service to our food systems, to creating incredible product, to you know, managing so many different emotional relationships between suppliers, employees, patrons. It's a lot. And I don't say that to say it's impossible. It's just not for everybody. But it's definitely for me. And I've always loved the business. And so when you say, who's the real Mark brand? First of all, you're not people's perception of you. You are you. And uh, media in general, and this is why I appreciate you bringing a much larger lens, they like to grab onto something that's easily digestible. And it's like, oh, you're, you're an entrepreneur. Oh, wait, now you're a social impact entrepreneur. Oh, wait, you're a professor of innovation. Uh, which is it? And when we look back in history at the people that we admired most, they were mathematicians and scientists and engineers and artists. They didn't have to choose one. Somewhere along the line, when we decided that society had to choose a lane, you would take a profession, you would focus on that one profession, and that would be your identity. That's an insane concept that we've decided to societally follow. And I, I chose not to. And many of my friends chose not to. What I am is somebody who lives their life in service. That's who the real Mark brand is. Now, I use many different mediums. I use my charities. I use my businesses. I use my nonprofits. I use my physical skills as a chef, my skills as a DJ, my skills as a speaker, all of the things that I've worked really, really hard on to own to help share messages, to help us seek more clearly how to love ourselves better, how to show up for others. That's, that's who I am. Where did you get your start? And why the restaurant business? One of the toughest businesses out there. I got my start through seeing people showing up. And the first person I can remember showing up really hard um, that wasn't my immediate nuclear family, my mom and dad and I, was my aunt Diane, uh, rest in peace, uh, who I loved very, very, very dearly. I would say, using the language I have now, was my first mentor. And my aunt Diane was, was a cook and a publican and a waitress, a bed and breakfast GM and everything in between. And to watch the way that she showed up for people, just always wanting them to be happy. She never had any money, but every time I saw her, she stuffed five bucks in my pocket. You know, that aunt. She also made me fall in love with food. I can remember her coming over to the house and, you know, digging through the cupboards and me being like, there's not a whole lot there. And her coming out with just magic. From there on in, I just spent every moment I could underfoot with her watching what she did until I got my first job in the food and beverage industry 31 years ago, wow, at a mall, at a pizza shop run by a Lebanese family doing their best Italian impersonation, um, who I'll forever be grateful for. We have this really irrational relationship with food. We've stopped learning how to make it. We've stopped thinking about what's in it. Uh, and it is us. Our stomach is our second brain. It controls our emotions ability to access our own intellect. It definitely controls our heart center and our empathy. So if we're putting negative things in our body, we react negatively. We, we outwardly facing our negative. Mark, I have to imagine that your financial partners and business advisors, are, they're patting you in the back and saying, that's all good and nice. But I have to believe they're also saying, hey, you're building a business now. You're using other people's capital. You got to focus on that bottom line and strengthen those foundations. How did you get them to to understand that both are part of your DNA. Oh, that's, you know, that's the constant push-pull. I think when you go into a relationship, 
business or otherwise, making sure that everybody has aligned goals, morality, uh, and missions is really important. And in my early businesses, I was very much just about like, let's be as successful as we possibly can because this is what you do in life, right? You strive to make as much money as possible and that creates your safety, which is a false norm. It does not. The only thing that truly keeps you safe is your community and the trust within it. Now, when I say that, people are like, oh, you mean the community you serve? Well, yes, definitely them. But also the community that we built around us. So with the Better Life Foundation, our charity in Canada and the US, our donors, our board members, our partners in quote unquote corporate, small, medium and large businesses that show up and support events or host their own events and donate. That stuff all creates the financial security to do the work that we need to do to continue to build community. Mark, on your website, you have a quote that says, when things get darkest, oh man, we must be our brightest. We must love our hardest. Yeah, that, that quote means so much to me, Tony, because it's a constant reminder and a mantra. You know, as things seem continually impossible and, you know, we've been on the verge of bankruptcy multiple times. My mental health has suffered so hard. Uh, but, you know, we just have to remember what's important. So when it gets its worst, not to dwell in what's bad, but to truly think about who in our world we love, who we show up for, who shows up for us, and then just to remember to center that energy. We come back, we learn about Mark's troubled childhood and how that shaped his desire to be a social justice warrior. Somebody says, hey, can I have some money because I'm hungry? which happens all day, every day in every city that we know of. Most people ignore them, most people won't talk to them. So instead of pretending that that's not a thing that people don't ignore and they don't give money, I just asked everybody why they don't give money. And they said, I don't give money because I don't trust people with, with it that I think they'll use for drugs or alcohol. Now that bias sucks, but it's real. So we have to address it as real. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman continues on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. Presented by RBC. We're talking to Mark Brand, a Vancouver-based capitalist by day and a social justice warrior by night. Mark, today you're a successful entrepreneur, television personality. Your ideas in social justice are sought after around the world. You're working with the United Nations. You're a Stanford fellow and a professor of innovation at the University of Southern California. But life wasn't always that way. It wasn't that long ago you were one of the many troubled teenagers who lacked purpose at times a home, who escaped into a cloud of drugs and alcohol. Take us back to the time when instead of making meals for others, your life was consumed by finding a meal for yourself. I think what's most important about what you just shared is that it's never ever too late to start the life that you deserve. And I don't want to sound like an Oprah Winfrey coaster here, right? But it, it's everything is possible the moment you believe that it is and you just have to start applying yourself to it. And so, you know, myself growing up in Nova Scotia, in Dartmouth, um, my dad worked overseas, my mom worked three jobs. And, you know, we had a very complex relationship. My parents are my best friends. And, but when I was a teenager, I, I already had realized that there was so much injustice right? That angsty teening that we talk about is not an angsty teen. That's an empathetic, understanding teen coming to terms with reality. We, we you know, talk to our youth and tell them to toughen up, you know, to, to, you know, buck up and learn that the world is a hard place. That doesn't build good people. 
what we should say is your feelings are right. These things are hard. You need to like stay strong and true to yourself and build up a set of skills uh, emotionally and physically and all of those things to be able to be in service to the things that are currently hurting your feelings. But that was not the case when I was a kid. The case was, let's get a two liter you know, of 11% um, ethanol wine and sit in a park and listen to music about people talking about injustice. And you know, that elevates into petty crime and it, all sorts of other things. And that, that's the life. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the show, The Trailer Park Boys, you know, that's loosely based on, on where I grew up. But some of the things that they're talking about, satires, political commentary of entire generations that have been abandoned to their own devices of that's just the way the world is. And I found that overwhelming. And so I, of course, was abusing alcohol from a very young age, like 13, 14 is a normative thing. You know, somebody hands you a beer, you have it, and next thing you know, you're you know, at junior high and high school dances drinking. And that's, that's normal. I wasn't the exception to the rule. Um, but what I discovered very quickly is that I have a problem with alcohol. And as a, a recovered and sober person now, you know, that, that created a lifelong struggle that affected so many of my relationships. Um, and so as a, as a teen, I found myself not knowing what to do with that energy or not knowing what to do with that anger. And often I got into it with my mother, my parents in general, teachers, you know, everybody, all the classic tropes. And that ended me up um, on the street. Not for long periods of time by any means, but just you get kicked out of the house. And getting kicked out of the house was also normal. That was a normal thing that happened. Um, and when you start burning the couches that you're able to sleep on, you find yourself without a, a place to stay. And those things stick with you. You know, they stick with you that you want people to be safe, that you, you don't want um, kids to be dismissed. When you're in that darkest period, did anyone or anything inside you suggest you could be more, you could do more with your life? One of the things I've learned most about working in the nonprofit sector, uh, in the downtown east side in particular, and let me also restate that where I'm calling in from today with you, Tony, is the unceded territories of the Squamish, Snohomish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, also known as Vancouver, BC, also the downtown east side. And what I've learned is watching youth show up, I can remember myself as a teenager feeling empowered by helping others. It's, it's what matters. The opportunities for kids to see themselves in shaping this planet and the people who suffer in a positive manner is where we should be focusing our time and energy. Not telling them to toughen up, to suck it up, you know, get good grades and everything will be fine. That's not true. It's just simply not true. So I think ignoring the problems also in you know, the 80s and 90s, we weren't talking about mental health the way we do now. And one in four people are seriously affected by mental illness. Now, everybody has mental health. Everybody has physical health. Some people will experience physical illness. Some people will experience mental illness. It's just normal. But we obviously vilified it, talked about people as crazy and, oh, what's wrong with that person's moods? Well, they have illness. And so I have multiple diagnoses that I manage very well. None severe enough to, you know, to land me in any deep trouble, but enough to like, have a reoccurring dark and deep depression um, to do a lot of compartmentalization uh, and, and other issues that were brought on by abuse of alcohol and drugs. 
So it's a slippery slope and I can feel, hopefully, lots of listeners nodding their head. We got to be able to have these discussions. We got to look after our youth, our next generations in a way that is empathizing and supporting them, not dismissing and vilifying. When did you start putting your steps forward versus falling further backwards? Was it easy to do or you're constantly being pulled between your beliefs and demons? Addiction uh, to anything, alcohol, drugs, sex, exercise, etc. is the internet, doom scrolling, food, consumption. Uh, it's, it's a lifelong, and I'll use the word battle specifically, because you know when you say, when did you find your way out? I, I didn't. I just choose every day. Every day I choose to focus on the people who need our help versus my own selfish wants to escape. Because escapism is easy. We built an entire capitalist system around it. Oh, you're feeling too tired? Don't worry. Here's you know, four shots of espresso and 32 grams of sugar. You know, feeling, feeling too wired? Don't worry. Here's 70 different types of over-the-counter sleeping pill to knock you out and avoid it. You know, if I'll, I'll have a craving? No problem. Here's 10,000 different snack items that will impact you negatively in the long run. But for now, you're going to be great. Feeling lonely? Here's 17 different social media apps to, that you can connect to immediately and feel satiated. All of this is avoidance, Tony. And so I'm not saying that any one of those things we shouldn't indulge in in moderation. Of course, life should be joyful. But also, we have to understand what the root of our own issues are. And until I got really clear about my own personal trauma and started engaging in therapy, yep, there it is. Therapy is important. I couldn't start to truly step into the life that I wanted. And all the accolades that you've talked about and the positions, etc., come because I'm clear, purposeful, honest with myself and others, and stick to my word. And none of those things can happen when I'm in the throes of my own addictions. When we come back, Mark Brand offers his advice on how to focus on positivity and to make things happen versus watch and wonder what happened. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, host of Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. RBC provides small business owners with resources that go beyond banking. Resources that help them attract new customers, build strong employee teams, and manage their money. To get access to these services, go to rbc.com slash beyondbanking. Small businesses matter to RBC. Matters with Tony Chapman continues. Welcome back to Chatter That Matters. I'm chatting with Mark Brand, successful Vancouver-based entrepreneur with ambition, a social justice warrior. He could be the new model where capitalism, not government, is solving some of our major problems. Mark, in the last segment, you were really open and talking about your demons and that they never will leave you. But there's a lot of people out there that are battling demons. It could be drugs, could be addiction, could be self-doubt, depression. What advice can you give to others in terms of how to put a foot forward? That's a really, really great prompt and question, Tony. And uh, it's my honor to share what I've learned over this lifetime uh, in how to do that. And so what I know for an irrefutable fact is that when you are feeling 
like you're not enough. You have struggle accessing love for self. When you are, are challenged with putting the next foot in front of the other, and I don't mean that in a facetious way, like just getting out of bed, planning to help others is the fuel that will allow that to happen. But what we find ourselves in is what we believe is a scarcity of resource to do so. Right? You've heard about abundance and scarcity mindsets. Like we, we find ourselves because of what we're told societally that we're not enough and that we don't have enough. Well, let me tell you now, you are both enough and you have enough. And so this will help you get there. The first question you have to ask yourself is, what do I care about and why? And so that list is going to be long when you start. I care about you know, cetacean populations in, in the Georgia Strait here, the whales. I care about climate change. I care about global warming. I care about homeless populations. I care about mental... The list, of course we do. We care about all. So that's overwhelming. But as you make your list, things are going to start to resonate deeper for you. And for me, it was poverty. And when I ask myself why, there's dozens of reasons, but it comes back down to personal experience, to the people around me suffering, to the people I see every day, and me wanting that to be over. And I feel the most lit up when I think about working on that because I know I'm super well-versed, I'm studied, I'm researched, and I can make the most impact there. And that's okay. Knowing what you will get up in the morning for or what cause that you will show up for is critical. So that's in my first circle. The second circle is, what's the skill I wish I could use more? So not something somebody said you were good at or a job you once had, but something that you love doing, a skill that you have. It could be coaching basketball. It could be teaching sewing. It could be teaching music. All of the skills that you have are critically important to somebody else's recovery, to somebody else's access to love and understanding and upward mobility. Trust that that's true. So decide on what that is. All right. So for me, it was cooking. I care about poverty and homelessness. The skill I wish I could use more is cooking. Nobody in this city knew me as a cook or a chef, even though I've been doing it for 30 years. But I was like, that gives me light. And I can get people around a table because of our cachet and what we do. If I'm cooking, that'll work. Right. So that was my hypothesis. The third part of the Venn is how much time do you have? And this one you got to get really honest about because people say, I'm working two jobs. I got three kids. I have no time. What I'll ask you to do, if that is your answer, is to have a look at how much time you spend on your mobile device. And this is not in any way to shame you. How much time you spend on Netflix, you know, in the big socials, just have a look at it and say, maybe if I shaved 25% of that off, I don't want you to stop using the things that give you some relief or joy or whatever that is, but maybe just reevaluate and say 25%. So maybe that's five hours a month. I have five hours a month where I can cook and I'd like to focus on homelessness and poverty. So now you have that Venn diagram in the center. That's what you want to do or, or those things. Then what you're going to do is you're going to research locally what organizations need that skill or help, right? So for me, it could be I'm in New York City. I'm a culinary council member of the New York City Food Bank. I realize that they need help in certain ways. We get connected. They actually reach out to me, but let's say I reached out to them. And I say, you know what I can do? I'm excellent at organizing and showing up and teaching people how to cook. Would it be okay for you if I did that once a month in your Harlem location where I know that you have a lack of skilled volunteers because I've done my research and asked around? 
Now, I am not adding a problem to that organization who then has to find a spot. You can't just phone somebody or email and be like, I want to help. Do you know how much resource it would take to answer those? You have to show up in service knowing what they need. And you also have to be okay with getting a lot of dead air and no's because people are stretched really thin. But you got to push through that and say, oh, well, I tried. Well, no, you didn't. Trying is, is doing in this instance because we know that people need help. So figuring out what that is. And that, I promise you, by executing on that and using those one hour, two hour, five hours a month, a week, whatever that may be, it will truly start to help you see how easy it is to help others. And when you do that, you realize your own value and your worth. Like, wait, I am worthy. I am good enough. And it changes your perception of self and what can also be possible in the world. Mark, you've been in the spotlight, your own TV show, as I said earlier, a headliner at conferences, working with the United Nations, lots of positive press. I find that most people that garner that kind of attention also attract critics. And you're not an exception. You know, I want to say something um, flippant, like that's the name of the game and just move past it. But I think that there's a more important conversation to have here, which is, um, let me just speak from personal experience. And people are like, oh, you know, it comes with the territory. You, you know, you must have thick skin, et cetera. I, I do, but it hurts. All of it hurts. Um, and anybody who says it doesn't, who is in the public eye, is either lying to you. <laughs> Uh, because they, you know, don't want to talk about it or, uh, you know, or they're compartmentalizing. Uh, because, of course, when people attack your narrative or, or say things that are really harmful to you when, when you're trying really hard, uh, it's painful. But I think the other part is, for me, what works as a process is understanding that people need to do that for their own pain for their own lack of input into society in a positive manner. And then the other side of it is negative press cells. If you look at the, the stories that you read, you know, how many of them are good ones? And how many of them are good ones repeatedly about the same people? Almost none. We like to, uh, particularly in colonial Western worlds, you know, in Australia, there's a really good analogy. It's called tall poppy syndrome. And so the poppy field all remains the same height. We're happy. But if one top poppy grows too tall, we cut its head off. And what I've witnessed over my time with lots of friends who have come from working really hard to being international celebrities or you know, superstars in their own right, there's an interesting point of growth. When you're the local you know, startup doing the thing, everybody has your back. When you start to achieve some sort of notoriety or celebrity, that wanes and people start to look at what's wrong and what the problems are and pick it apart. We all have issues. It's easy to find. Then when you transcend into the next level of, of fame or like notoriety, everybody was always your friend. Everybody always had your back. Everybody was always down for the cause. Uh, and I've watched it happen over and over and over again. And knowing that it's you know a psychological pattern does provide some relief. Why I appreciate the way you show up, Tony, and lots of my other friends who show up in media this manner is they are looking for real and positivity. If we just spent more time on that, understanding that the inputs that we as society get on what's possible versus tearing these things down or attacking them, it would, it would make the world a better place, I think. On the flip of that, I appreciate my critics uh, over the years 
I've sat with so many of them. Um, when I first started getting attacked because of Save On and our Oprah show, I would put out an open call and I said, hey, if you've got something to say, I'll, I'm holding diner hours. Uh, I'm, I'm buying the coffee. Whoever wants to come down. And of course, a lot of people disappeared and then disengaged at that point. Um, but some people came and sat and they had really valid things to say. You know, in every criticism, there is some truth. And so it's also a valuable tool to look at self and evaluate self versus just writing people off. I'm also thankful for the criticism because it certainly made me a better leader and a, and a better human. Hi, it's Tony Chapman. You're listening to Chatter That Matters presented by RBC. We'll be right back with Mark Brand. We will always have to eat until they're putting MREs directly in our veins, which of right. course already happens. Uh, most of us are going to sit at a dinner table, but I feel like we've been really disconnected from the experience of food. Mm. So I'm a restaurateur, a cook by trade, and uh, I have multiple businesses that do this, especially in the depth of community. And I see the success around people sitting together, talking about issues, etc. Not the kid with the plate and the iPad. I want to hang out, share food, and make sure that we stay connected to each other. Today I'm chatting with Mark Brand. To me, he's a superhero, an unapologetic capitalist who applies creativity, ingenuity, and grit to build businesses, and a social justice warrior who uses these same attributes to help people in need. What does Mark Brand say though when you're in front of troubled kids? Is the message the same or is it different? Yeah, the messages are, they're diverse to the audiences and places that I am, but they all center around the fact and the data around we can make a difference. A talk that I did last week, two kids actually, I mean, let's, let's be careful who we call kids. Now these young adults between 13 and 15 are so much smarter than us. I focused on something very specific because they asked me how I approach waste and climate change. And I said, by doing. And so during the pandemic, we created a program called Waste Not, Want Not. We know globally that food waste is, you know, 8 billion tons and the numbers all over the place. And, and so we created Waste Not, Want Not to partner with grocery stores. We use uh, the same tricycle, electric tricycle group that delivers our meal program. Uh, we do about 1,200 meals a day here in Vancouver, scratch made to people who are in the margins and struggling. And so on that same route of delivering our meals, they go up and they pick up waste, quote unquote, which I've reframed into leftovers. We take those leftovers from the hot and cold counters, fruit and vegetables, day-old breads, bring them down to our commissary kitchen. And then we have a chef who's incredible, reconstitute that food into meals for shelters that we don't service with our meal program, predominantly women and children fleeing violence in indigenous populations. That food, instead of going into the landfill, goes into people's bellies in a nutritious and beautiful way as only chefs know how. So the messages are these messages, Tony that you just have to try it. You just have to do it. You have to get out and make the impact. And I'll share stories of why I, I do it and what inspired me and who inspires me. But I'm much more interested in sharing examples so that people can say, I can wrap my head around that. I could do that. Mark, your work has caught the attention of the United Nations. What are you doing for them? My role, quote unquote, I'm using air quotations here, uh, <laughs> which I dislike, is uh, as the chair of the food security thread for the United Nations Catalyst team. Now, the Catalyst group is organizations and individuals from around the globe that is working on how to best approach the Sustainable Development Goals, uh, which are a set of goals set up by the UN that we need to accomplish by 2030 in order to maintain a sustainable planet. And so being focused on food security, 
I gather groups and we get together to discuss what are best practices that we can share, resources that we can share on how to engage in multi-stakeholder partnerships to solve some of these things in, in really pragmatic ways. So I do that. And then I'm the executive chef uh, for an organization called the Future Food Institute. And in that role, I am the center point uh, of dinners that talk about all of these things too. And so I use cooking as a tool to convene us to talk about uh, diet changes, consumption, all of those sorts of things. And I love working with the Future Food Institute who are partnered directly with the FAO or the Food and Agricultural Organization branch of the UN. And we've been working together for three years. Mark, this combination of a socially minded business person and a business minded social warrior, is this an anomaly or do you think this is the next generation of entrepreneurs that are going to say, we can do a lot to solve a lot of different problems? Yeah, it, Tony, of course it is. I mean, the, the blend of all of the different tools that we built around money, society, interaction, they don't work individually. You know, we can't say that 80% of people in North America are one paycheck away from destitute. One paycheck away. We're living check to check. 80% of the population, the living wage should be everywhere. Everybody should be making 21 plus dollars an hour. And the disparities just get bigger and bigger and greater. So how can traditional business people with good conscience say, yes, this is working? Just because it's working for them. Of course not. And so, no, I'm not a capitalist by any means. I've just realized that the systems that we are bound by currently need to be changed. And to change them, you have to work from within them. I believe firmly in advocacy and fighting the systems and calling a spade a spade. But I also believe in the pragmatism of today, I need to serve 1,200 meals. I'm building a brick and mortar in New York. I have to sign a lease and work with capital structures to do that. Now, I can also blend all the social stuff that I've created over the last 10 to 12 years that works well for me and share those and that works well for others. I just don't think in this day and age that you should be able to go to sleep at night knowing that you're not contributing to society in a positive manner. We gotta be doing better. So what's next for Mark Brand? So much, so much I'm so excited about. Last week we crossed our 3 million meal mark served in Vancouver. While incredibly proud, we realized there's so much more work to do. So you can look to us to doubling down on our work in Vancouver, and food security. Uh, and if listeners want to help, uh, please do reach out to us at A Better Life Foundation because we will need it. And secondary is our continued expansion and work into other regions. So we are currently in, in final negotiations, negotiations on a space in New York. We've been in discussions in Halifax, Nova Scotia for many years, Toronto the same. And to bring all these models that have created over the last 10 years, build them in other spaces that need them. And then lastly, what I'm called to share is like during the pandemic, we created this thing called Sharpen Up. And Sharpen Up was an online tool to meet people who are marginalized. The pandemic was affecting way worse than us and delivering groceries and then teaching them to cook in their own homes. And we focused on children and we focused on the families around them. If we can teach people and show them love and respect and dignity, we can start to change the way that they feed and nourish themselves on limited resource Therefore, changing their mental health, their belief in self, breaking some of their isolation. And that stuff's at the core of what a Better Life Foundation does and how I show up every day. We got to show up with love, with empathy, with the resource of ourselves, of our minds, of our hearts, of our time, for people who need us. Three things I learned from Mark Brand today. 
Number one, Mark's continuing battle with addiction. It's like a high wire he's destined to walk. But when he uses the tension of that wire to stay grounded on his desired outcome, that's when good happens. Good for business and good for the neighborhoods he operates in. Two, criticism weighs down almost everyone. To counter it, honesty, humility, self-reflection, and gratitude work much better than fighting fire with fire. And three, capitalism that chases purpose and profit can do so much to solve the problems that our society is facing. Mark Brand, thank you for joining me on Chatter That Matters. Oh, thank you, Brother Tony. When chatting with Mark Brand, I realized I've been around hospitality all my life. When I built agencies, I always gravitated to clients that were in tourism and hospitality and experiences. And when I remarried, it was to a talented woman who ran the operations for Firkin Pubs in Canada and the United States. Hospitality is a tough business. It takes a special breed. Even before COVID, it's about long hours and incredible creativity and ingenuity and grit to make a business work. If you go back to my library, you'll hear, listen to a show I did with Ernesto Gomez, another Vancouver restaurant operator. It's an incredible story of someone deathly sick with COVID who finds the will to keep his business going and his employees employed. So to all the restaurant operators, and in fact, all the small business owners out there, know that we're here for you. And a special shout out to RBC. Last year, you rallied 50 organizations and Canadians from coast to coast to shop local, to buy local. And this year with Points for Canada, you're doing the same. This summer, let's keep shopping local, buying local, and doing what we can to help improve the lives of others. It's Tony Chapman. Let's chat soon. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman has been a presentation of RBC. Fridays, join Tony Chapman for Chatter That Matters on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network.